Well, it's the last Sunday of the year, and we're heading into a new year, so it must be my turn to preach. <laughs> uh, this is now the fourth year out of five that I've done this Sunday. The Vincents, thank you. <laughs> yes, the Vincents, you're welcome. Um, but it's an apropos message of what this church is actually going to be going through in a transition. Um, this message is about living a new normal. It's a buzzword for 2020 because of this pandemic that life has been turned upside down. And we're trying to figure out which way is up and what are we supposed to do now with each day of our lives, with each moment sometimes. For seven, eight, nine months, described our daily routines, this new normal. We're trying to figure it out. It seems that catastrophes in the world tend to elicit the need for this concept of a new normal. We think of 9-11 and how it changed how we view our personal safety and our travel safety. Homeland Security was created, the TSA was created to help us understand how to move through safely through our, our daily routine of travel. So we had a new normal for the way in which we did these things. The housing bubble crash of 2007-2008 changed the way we bought houses. Some people lost their jobs because of foreclosures. Trying to buy a house now, there's more stringent uh, processes in place that require more information so that banks don't get thrown under the bus from their own bad choices, really. Pandemic changes routines. We have to, our daily routines, we have to wear masks. We have to sanitize the things that we were using. I work in retail, and after every customer, the people at the register have to wipe down the register area. We have to wash our hands a lot more, which might be good for the hand lotion industry, because <laughs> it dries our hands out, but the fact of the matter is that changes how we do things. We have to incorporate more time into our day for something as simple as that. We have virtual learning because we can't go to school or it's a hybrid style of learning where we sometimes we're in school and sometimes we're not. Or we have Zoom meetings because we can't go into the office. Or we find that there's no need to go into the office anymore. And how is this going to change the face of business moving forward? But a new normal isn't necessarily a bad thing. We tend to think of it that way because that's just the nature of who we are as people. But Four years ago, I got a job promotion that changed how I did, how I moved through my day. Instead of working as a part-time employee three or four days a week, I got five days a week, guaranteed. And instead of having to come in at 8.45 in the morning, because we opened at 9, I had to be there at either 6 or 7 in the morning to prepare the store for customers or to receive our freight. But that created a new normal in my routine every day when I woke up and how I went about my daily business. Something else that happened to me a little bit more recently in the past two and a half months, I got married. <laughs> Thank you. And I can for sure tell you that getting married will change your new normal. It is a very new, new normal. Different things you might not think about. My wife is not a night owl. I am. And so, she going to bed early means that I have to be a little bit more quiet trying to get into the room 
and get into bed. And so I might come in and, and quietly open the door, sneak in, try and close it quietly, and get over to the bed and pull the covers back ever so carefully so she doesn't wake up, and then carefully get into bed, and pull the covers back over, and then sleep like this. Because <laughs> I'm afraid to wake her up. She keeps telling me, don't worry about it. I can't help it. But that's part of my new normal, trying to figure it out, going through this transition of what does it look like to put two lives together in a new way. Changing our routines can be overwhelming, especially when we're not expecting to need to do that. At least we had the opportunity to have three months of say, hey, we're engaged. What do we need to think about moving forward with our lives? But when all of a sudden the business says, hey, it's end of business today, you're out, we're closed. What do I do now? School says you can't come back tomorrow. Well, what do we do with these kids? It's sudden. It can be overwhelming. It can foster anxiety or fear or concern. And all of a sudden we're unsettled and we don't really feel a sense of peace about what's going on in our lives. And we're looking forward to 2021 and we don't know what 2021 holds. Things are going to happen and we're going to have to respond to them. We're going to see a couple of examples of the new normal in a group of people from the scripture and in, in an individual, a couple of individuals. To help us understand from a scriptural standpoint what that looks like and what our response should look like. And before I get into that, let me take a moment to pray. So pray with me. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are and what it is you're doing in our lives. <clears throat> we thank you that you would bring us to this day, this season, that we get to celebrate your birth and coming to this world to show us how to live in a world that seems against you, in a world that's got a lot of difficulties, where there's a lot of suffering. You yourself suffered, and you know that pain. Lord, I pray today that the words that I would speak would not be mine, but rather they would be yours. Anything that I say today that is from me would be quickly forgotten, never to be remembered. But those things that are from you would be quickened into our hearts and into our minds, finding fertile soil in both places, that as we leave here today and we leave our homes through the week, that we might look more like your son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the group of people is the Jews. In a time early 600 B.C., late 500 B.C., God has been sending them prophets to say, hey, shape up, or I'm going to ship you out. They didn't shape up, so he shipped them out. He brought in King Nebuchadnezzar. They took the Jews from Jerusalem, and they took them back to Babylon. And, and God said, you're going to be here for 70 years. Well, that's going to create a new normal for these people. They're not in a place where they're used to living. They're not in a culture that they're used to. And really, if you think about it, that's almost two full generations that could live there and never know anything other than living in Babylon. And so God tells Jeremiah, I want you to write a letter, and here's what you're going to say to them. As they live in this exile, it comes from chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, and says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. What do we see here? People are living in a place where they weren't supposed to be living. And God is meeting them and saying, hey, I know you're not where you're supposed to be, but I want you to continue to live. Live your lives. Go out, build your houses, plant your gardens, go get haircuts, go to the mall, whatever. Live your lives, even though you're not where you're supposed to be. I am still here. You see, we have this pandemic, but did God disappear? Of course not. And just because there's bad things in the world doesn't mean that God has pulled himself away from us. He's allowing it. And the question is, what is our response? We need to live our lives, regardless of the circumstances, responsibly. Yes, we still have to wear masks, and we have to social distance, and we have to sanitize things, and wash our hands, and all these things. But we have to live our lives. An individual who had a new normal thrust upon him was a man by the name of Saul. Many of you know him as the Apostle Paul. But before the Apostle, becoming an Apostle, he was a man who was against God. Now, he didn't think he was, but he was persecuting the people who were believing in Jesus Christ. In Acts 9, we see this story of how God meets Saul on the road to Damascus and basically challenges him. Verses 1 through 6 say this, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, that's how serious he was, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is what belief in Christ was called then, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. That's quite the encounter that he had with the Lord. Now, his life is going to change. Right now, as he fell off the donkey, he, he was blinded as well. Verses 10 through 16 say this, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did your saints in Jerusalem. 
And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So we see a glimpse of Paul's new normal. Saul. He becomes Paul. He's going to preach to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the sons of Israel. Who's left? That's everybody. Quite a bit of a difference of a message from just the day before for him where he was on his way to, to imprison people for this belief. But it's interesting. We get to see a little bit of this. Finishing verse 19 through 21. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and he, immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed, and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief, chief priests? They're confused. But this is how significant God's changes can be. Immediate. But see, it's not just that God made a change, but Paul embraced it. He embraced this new normal. As I stated, living a new normal isn't exactly a new concept. We, we do that frequently. Again, as I mentioned, getting a job promotion or a new job as we go from one school to another because we graduate from like sixth or fifth grade to sixth grade or high school into college. That's a big change. Very much a new normal there. Financial means if we get a new promotion and we have more money or we, we lose our house and we've lost money. Health scenarios when we find out we have a chronic illness that suddenly is going to rock our world and we have to make changes to our lives, our diets, our medical needs. Our social circles sometimes when people move away, we, best friend moves away. What do we do? How do we respond? Oh, we have other friends, but that was your special friend. Family. You know, when I was young, and some of you may not know this, the, some of you watching as well, I grew up in a home. And so on Christmas Day, it wasn't this thunder of feet running down the stairs to go check out what ha what's under the tree because A, we had no tree, <laughs> and B, I was an only child, so there was, I'd be the only one thundering anywhere. <laughs> so it was pretty quiet on Christmas Day. Well, last year, I spent time with my then girlfriend and her family, and her family is big. There's five siblings that each have some children of their own, a number of children, and some grandchildren, in fact. And they're not quiet. <laughs> and it was loud, and it was quite the din. I mean, there was a lot of noise, and a lot of crying and screeching and whatever, but it was fun. That's my new normal <laughs> for a holiday. Um, but an important one is our spiritual understanding. When God reveals something to us that really rocks our world, we're like, wow, 
I'm going to live differently now. As I mentioned, obviously I grew up Jewish, so I didn't know anything about Christ growing up. I didn't even have a concept of sin or grace because quite frankly, in Hebrew school, they don't talk about that. They don't talk about Jesus. It stands to reason. And so as God was working in my heart during the time when I was in college, I started thinking differently. I started asking a lot of questions. And so finally I realized that I needed God in my life. I didn't really understand what that meant, but I know I needed God in my life. You are right. I needed God in my life. And when I gave my life to Christ, everything changed. Didn't really feel like it at first, because I didn't feel any different. But I was on a new path. As I said, I didn't know Jesus from anything. So I had started learning a lot of head knowledge. But then, it was interesting. A month after I came to Christ, I was in my girlfriend's apartment at the time. And it was, everyone was trying to get ready to go away for the holidays. And my one girlfriend, or my girlfriend's one roommate said, yeah, there's a little faux pas. Her one roommate said, you're different. I said, what do you mean I'm different? I don't know, you're nicer? I'm like, really? That hurts. I'm like, well, when did you notice this? She's like, oh, about a month ago. And my girlfriend gives me an elbow. I was like, that was when you came to Christ. I didn't even realize that I had been changing, and yet my new normal had already taken effect. I was learning and learning and learning about who God was. When I came back from uh, the holiday break, I had gotten in, in touch with a campus ministry because I wanted to get plugged in somehow. And I remember sitting there listening to these college kids talk about the topic. It just so happened they were talking about Romans, which is not exactly a, a light topic. Um, it's very heavy in its theology. And I'm sitting there, I didn't know anything. And I'm like, wow, they're so intelligent. They, they know the scripture so well. And I may have told this story before, but it's so powerful to me. Because I remember sitting there thinking, will I ever have the understanding that they have? And yet, here I am. Because I continued to seek God out because I wanted to learn more and more about who he was and who I am. He grew me. My new normal was completely different from my old life. But the point that I want to make here is that we have new normals that happen all the time. We don't want to look at catastrophes and say, oh, all of a sudden we have this new normal. They happen all the time in smaller ways. So we don't want to be surprised when all of a sudden something happens and we have to shift gears. I think it's easier to deal with the idea that we have to make a change when we realize that we've been making changes all along. So 2020 is going to come along and things are going to cause us to have to make changes. And I don't want us to be afraid of those changes. Don't be anxious about those changes because you've been making changes. You've been in the practice of it. Yes, the pandemic is more intrusive on a global scale, 
We have to worry about what other people are doing or are not doing. But God is telling us to live. It can be a drain on us. As I said, it can create anxiousness, fear, sense of lack of peace. But see, here's the other part of it that helps us to not get overwhelmed. We have Jesus Christ. He is called the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ provides peace. Why? Because he restores our relationship with God. Well, what, what do I mean by that? We've lost our relationship with God as humanity because we turned our backs against him. We've created a separation, and God said, I can't be with you because you've separated from me. And even if we wanted to turn back, we can't. We don't have the means to do so. God requires some kind of action to restore that relationship. And unfortunately, that action needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be some kind of sacrifice to help us recognize that we have wronged Him. In the Old Testament, he sets up animal sacrifice as a way of restoring relationships. But the problem is animals aren't good enough to sacrifice for us to restore our relationship. They are not equal to us. So you say, well, we need a human sacrifice. The problem is we're all broken. We're all blemished. What kind of a sacrifice is that to give to God? He wants the best of us. He wants our first fruits. That's why there needed to be a perfect human to sacrifice. We celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. He is the one who came to live a perfect life so that we could sacrifice Him. In essence, and when we believe that he died on the cross with our sin, he was buried in the tomb, but then resurrected, leaving our sin in the, in the grave and ascended to heaven, God looks at us and sees Christ. That is what he sees. We get to enjoy the peace of God because we now can commune with God. That's where it comes from. That's the only place that it comes from. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the Prince of Peace. There's a Hebrew benediction that we see in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. God is telling Moses, I want you to teach Aaron and his sons because they are the overseers of the Levitical tribe, the Levites. They are the tribe of priests. And I want you to teach them this benediction. And it says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. This is in Numbers. God has been setting this plan up of peace for a very long time. 
He wants to give us peace. But what if? What if 2021 isn't as good as 2020? Mm -hmm. What if it's worse? We can't know. It could be pandemic related or it could be personal. Like I said, we all go through things in life that we can't control. Things happen to us. What is our response? Do we go to God? Because that is the response. He is the Prince of Peace. I want you to consider Job. He was a righteous man who suffered a lot. He happened to live in the time of uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and from the, the same town, basically, as Abraham. So this was really before the law was written. But he was considered a righteous man by God. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, to see how he handles the circumstances in which he finds himself. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord and went and touched Job's life. And what we see in the next couple of verses is that all his cattle, and he was a wealthy man, all of it was stolen by the surrounding people groups. Cattle was stolen, servants killed. He lost his wealth. All in one fell swoop. And at the same time, a servant that had escaped tragedy came and told him that, as the Scripture says, the four winds of the earth came and touched the four walls of your son's house where all your children were eating. Seven sons and three daughters. House collapsed, killing them all. He lost his entire family. His wealth, his family... That's a tragedy I can't possibly fathom. Verses 21 and 22. He, meaning Job, said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, God, or Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. I've got to be honest with you. That's not an attitude I think I hold right now. I wish I did. I'm a, I'm a got to be honest, I have pity parties for myself. I, I'd probably be off in the corner just wailing, saying, oh, woe is me. Maybe even the, the traditional, why me, Lord? But not Job. Job's attitude was one of worship in this incredible loss. But Job's not done. Satan goes before God again and he says, oh yeah, well, 
he took all his possessions and we took all his family, but what if you curse him physically? You give him pain. God said, okay. Just don't touch his life. You can't kill him, but go ahead. So Satan goes and he covers Job with boils and sores that are extremely painful from head to toe, everywhere. What is his response? Well, it's interesting that his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? Some, some people think that was actually Satan speaking, or that Satan certainly put his wife up to it. But Job's response in verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Uh, what? Wow. Wow. I, I, I'm in awe. But that's our attitude. That should be our attitude as we go through these difficult areas of our lives. Be prepared to have that attitude. He worshiped God. If we go back to chapter 1, Verse 20, it says, Then Job arose. This was when he found out that he lost his family and his wealth. He arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. That was his response. And if you remember last week, Drew mentioned that the wise men did the same thing with Jesus. They fell to the ground and worshipped. Not that the falling to the ground was all that important, except to humbly come before him but he worshipped. Do we worship God when things are uncomfortable? That when we suffer a little bit? I get a sniffle and I'm like, oh God, come on, what are you doing? That's not the right attitude. But peace provides the framework to deal with suffering. Peace provides the framework to deal with our suffering. A lot of times people will seek outside distractions. And in some cases they're destructive. Alcohol, drugs, sex and pornography. They look for these things to fill their lives to numb the pain. And yet they're destroying themselves and those around them. But some people do other things that aren't necessarily destructive. They, they find a hobby. They bury themselves in work or they get involved in more ministries so they can ignore the pain. But that's not what peace is about. Peace isn't about trying to bring something outside and bring it in. Peace is from the inside out. Peace starts here when we come to Christ. When we know Christ, we have access to the God of peace. That is where real peace is. If we go back to our Jeremiah passage, we see in verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. God has a plan. We might not understand it. This is a pandemic. How, what good can come from this? I don't know. 
I don't know in your life what good can come from it. But God has a plan. And it might just be faith, growing your faith. The rest of this starts with one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. But it's not the only important one here. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and I will listen to you. Verse 13 is really important here. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. God is showing the Jewish people in exile His plan. Continue to live where you are. I will bring you out of that. I will restore you. Now for us, we don't know what God's necessarily doing with us, but continue to live. And God will restore us. Now it might not be until we go back to heaven. But oh, what a joy that will be. The new normal that we have to live by is par for the course. It happens all the time. So it shouldn't overwhelm us. Live and rely on Him for our peace. Let's pray. Father God, just thank You so much for who You are. I thank You that You are a God of peace. You've called us to Yourself that you would desire a relationship with us and that you would move toward us to make that relationship happen. That you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin. That we might believe that it has been taken care of with his shed blood and resurrection. That when you look at us, that you see Jesus Christ. We thank you and pray that as we experience 2021 and, and the difficulties that may arise from it, that we can call on you, that we can cry out to you and that you can provide peace for us, that we might glorify your name and worship you forever. By the power of the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.